Disclaimer, this content is meant for information only and not as a diagnosis or medical treatment for any condition. If you or a loved one needs help, please seek out a qualified medical professional for assistance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Oshta, BSN, RN, IBCLC, and infant feeding specialist. Quench your thirst for knowledge and travel with me across the nation to discover, learn, collaborate, and better serve clients from all over the globe. Let's ride and thrive together. All right. So today is a really special podcast for me because it's one year in review. Yep. I've been podcasting for a whole year. I can't believe it. Last year when I thought about podcasting, I kind of wanted to throw up a little bit. I'm not a super outgoing person. You know, I, I like hanging out with people and I'm great in small groups, but the idea of podcasting really took me out of my comfort zone. And I guess it really is true that what they say is when you get out of your comfort zone, there's growth, right? And change. It's been amazing for me. So in this episode, I really want to review this last year and just talk to you guys about what's coming up as well, because I've got an exciting second year of podcasting plan. So let me tell you all about it. So first, just want to, again, say how blessed I am to be doing this and how much this journey has meant to me, both professionally and personally. It's been crazy. I started traveling June 21st of 2021. So I've been over a year now and it's been full of so much joy and hardships. If you've been a listener from the beginning, then you know I started in California and sold my house, bought an RV and decided to travel with my family because we knew California was pricing us out and just not not making life doable wasn't it wasn't sustainable really for us in order to be able to think ahead to college and things like that for kids and God forbid retirement. I don't know how anyone affords that in California. So we started thinking we wanted to look around and decided that we would travel. We went up through Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, Nevada, and then back to California. That was like our first couple of months. It was amazing, (laughs) just amazing. And by the end of the first year, we had also traveled to Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Oh, and Michigan. (laughs) I can't believe it. We've hit like 27 or 28 states in a year. Absolutely mind-blowing. We've gone to so many national parks and Big things like Yellowstone, Grand Teton, but little things like just tiny state parks or county parks. I mean, we've done big city. I spent two weeks in D.C. with my husband and kids, and it was amazing. We took them to so many museums and so much history and culture there. I will say I don't I wasn't excited to go to D.C. I don't know why. I think I just have been feeling a little bit cityed out. But, man, I just couldn't get enough and wish that we had more time there. So. If we end up living on the East Coast, I definitely see more trips to D.C. in my future because there were museums, so many that we didn't get to. I mean, there's so many Smithsonian's. But we also did a lot of nature stuff. I mean, finding tiny deserted beaches in Florida to, you know, bayou trips in Louisiana and the wilderness of Glacier and Grand Teton. It's a really diverse and amazing country. And 
mean, I admit I lived in a very beautiful place. California is very stunning. And I lived in San Francisco for many, many years. But I just don't think I ever truly appreciate how diverse this country is and how many ecosystems and cultures and people and everything. And it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So personally, we have grown this year a lot. My kids are now, I guess, technically entering eighth and fifth grade. We homeschool since we started on the road. And so we're kind of less concerned about grades, but they've grown so much. I am just shocked at their writing and math abilities. It's really impressive. So I'm hats off to my husband. He's the teacher here. So he does all of that. They're actually off at the library today as part of the course for probably four days a week. We find libraries everywhere and the kids love them. I love them sometimes too. I mean, I definitely get a little more focus sometimes in a in a library than I do at home. It can be hard to work from home as I'm sure millions of you guys out there understand since COVID. Sometimes, you know, all those distractions sitting around the house can be tough, even if my house is portable. So personally, this last year has been absolutely amazing. We also did have, you know, a couple of setbacks. We had an accident on the road with our trailer in the end of August. And it was, it was a very scary episode. And Thankfully, everybody was fine, including all of us humans and our two little bunnies who travel with us. Our truck was fine, but our trailer was totaled. Thankfully, we were able with insurance to get right back out on the road and got a fifth wheel instead, which is, in my mind, much safer. I love how it attaches to the truck. If you don't know anything about the two differences, having the weight behind the truck versus over the second axle. So it feels a lot more stable. It doesn't get the sway. And not only that, it's way easier to hitch up, but enough about that. I have found favorite places and I found a lot of wonderful places to eat and shop and enjoy. And I just, I can't wait. So personally, this next year of our journey will include going from Wisconsin back through Illinois and Michigan. And then we're going to go through that little bridge of Canada up into upstate New York. And then we go through Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, back into New York, out on Long Island, and then through Pennsylvania and Jersey. And then we come back all the way down. We're going to hit the Great Smokies, which I just can't wait to see, and um, go back down to Florida for the winter because it's really hard to, to travel in a rig if you're not in Florida in the winter or Texas or Arizona, but you got to be somewhere somewhere that everything's not frozen because it's not that easy, but I'm just super excited to see. I think we'll get to like 38 states or so, 40 states, maybe 38, maybe by the end of this year, by the end of 2022. So I'm pretty excited. There's so many more places for us to see. And it's just, it's an amazing journey. And I feel blessed. I feel really, really blessed to be able to take this time and see. So professionally, let's go there because that's been super interesting this year. And if you're listening to the podcast, that's probably much more of what you care about. So I was sitting down kind of looking at everyone, all my podcast episodes, who have we talked to, where have I been? And it was interesting. I was able to break it down into categories. I saw and recorded with three body workers, Dr. Jen, um, in California, Dr. Young in Olympia, Washington, and Dr. Lynn Gurner in California as well. And both of those are Bay Area. 
release providers were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Dr. Yazdi, Dr. Maggie, Dr. Baxter, Dr. Lynn, Dr. Salia, Dr. Tyler, and Team Tongue Tie. It's a lot of releases I've been seeing, you guys, a lot of releases. And then I saw uh, recorded with two breastfeeding medicine docs, Dr. Mitchell and Dr. Yang. One IBCLC who started me off on this journey, Jewel of Structure and Function. One Mayo, Marge, oh, two Mayo, sorry, Marge and Autumn Henning. And then my kind of other ones would be the OT, Michelle, Emmanuel, and research was Dr. Trill. That one totally blew my mind. If you have not listened to an episode yet, besides this one, I would say go back and listen to Dr. Trill, who I believe is episode 23. She's inspiring and amazing and truly changing medicine for women and children right now. So I just am so inspired by her. So I thought I would kind of group these together and talk about what did I learn? Like, why am I doing this? What am I learning? How is this making me a better provider? And where do I see it going? So when I look at the body workers, Dr. Jen, Dr. Jesse Young, and Dr. Lynn Gurner, um, it's pretty easy for me to see and to get a feeling for what they're trying to teach me. I think the biggest thing comes down to two um, things, and that would be prenatal or pregnancy care and structural ties. So all three of them have mentioned the fact that when mom gets prenatal chiropractic care, that baby is better aligned in utero. And if we have a better alignment in utero, we can hopefully prevent, we actually can prevent things like torticollis. My first one had torticollis from being wedged under my ribs for six weeks in this very funky, uncomfortable breech position. And we can also have a faster and easier birth, right? A nicer labor, not to mention keeping mom more comfortable during the pregnancy, helping her deal with her changing body and the weight distribution. But they really talked about, each one of them talked about how that prenatal care really can prevent problems, right? That if we, instead of, it's kind of like the dentist saying, Hey, don't, you know, don't come to me when you have cavities. Let's talk about brushing and flossing your teeth. Let's talk about regular cleanings. Let's talk about how to prevent those cavities. It's the same thing. So when you see a chiropractor, like Dr. Jen Santos, you are getting that pregnancy care to help baby stay really aligned. And it's incredible what it can do to help prevent birth issues. And then the other thing they really honed in on was the difference between structural ties and anatomical ties. So the difference there, what I mean is that a structural tie is you still have a tongue tie. The tongue is still held down or tethered to the floor of the mouth, and it's not getting its full range of motion or functionality. The difference is a structural tie means that we have other structures, namely other muscles and fascia in the jaw, in the chin, in the neck and shoulders and head that are all pulling that tongue down and holding it very tight. Now, there are babies who have both. And in fact, I would say any baby that has an anatomical tie where their tongue is just has a huge tongue tie has a structural tie as well. I think the important thing is you can't always know which is which, right? Which is so important to start with body work. I mean, I knew it before, but after watching all of these providers for a year, one of the biggest thing I can say is start. If you suspect an oral tie, if you are a provider or a parent and you have any concern about an oral tie, start with an IBCLC and a body worker. 
absolutely. Your IBCLC should be your team leader dealing with functionality to doing a true feeding functional assessment and anatomical assessment. And then they should also be coordinating care for you, helping you figure out who do I go to? Who do I see? And that IBCLC, if they're trained in oral rehabilitation, means that they're giving you oral exercises, evaluating baby's body, teaching you movements you can do at home to help elicit reflexes that help with feeding. It's so important. But I think that if if we don't start with body work, if we don't evaluate whether a tie is structural or functional, then we're not going to get the result that we want. If you have a purely structural tie, you have really recessed tight jaw and you go and cut that, you're not going to get a good result because you still have a recessed tight jaw. So you're not going to actually get a good result. Those are the ones, you guys, I see this all the time. These are the people who call me and say, hey, we had a tongue tie, you know, a phrenectomy. It was even a good provider. Everything was done really well. And yet it's been three weeks and nothing is any better. And I don't know what to do. And so I'll start kind of asking some questions. Well, what did you do before the release? How were things? And they say, well, it wasn't really good, but I talked to people on Facebook or my friend said I should go to this dentist that he'd take care of it. And then I went in and I met him and he cut it and it didn't get better. And so then I have to backtrack a bunch and explain that when we treat the tongue as an isolated piece of anatomy, it's never going to come out well. Nothing in our body is an isolated piece of anatomy. Nothing. Like... (laughs) There's no part of our body that is by itself that doesn't interact with other parts. So when we do that, when we treat the tongue just like it's an isolated floating little tongue island, well, guess what? We don't get a good result. And then those parents are saying, well, those release providers aren't good, or my baby didn't really have a tongue tie. See, they clip too many tongues. They shouldn't be doing that. And it's really unfortunate because if we all just slowed down a little bit, we could not only have better results, but sometimes we could really prevent releases. So that's, that's the big thing of what I learned with those body workers. When I met with those seven different release providers, you know, from California to Florida and all the way up to Maryland, I would say, oh, I missed one. Oh my gosh, sorry guys. That's actually eight because it was Dr. Jesse in Colorado. I'm like, wait, I know I had someone in the middle of the country. So that's eight release providers. And I watched so many releases with them throughout the day that I was there with each of them. I would say, you guys, I would say the most important thing is timing. They're doing really good jobs. Okay, most, all of the providers I went with are doing their best that they know right now. Do they all know everything out there? No, none of us do, right? We're doing the best we know how. And as soon as we know more than we, when we know better, we do better, right? So until that day, they're doing the absolute best they know how. And all of the providers I met, you guys are so caring. They usually come at it from a personal, a personal struggle in their, in themselves or in their family. They, they're all very passionate about tongue tie. And getting this information out there, you know, one of the release providers, Dr. Dale Tyler, ENT in Santa Barbara is a huge advocate for tongue tie assessment and treatment within the ENT world, which is a very uphill battle, but she's an amazing, amazing person. She's very well-educated. She has her master's in public health in tongue tie or ankyloglossia. And she's mother of two tongue tie kids and a pediatric ENT. She's exceptionally knowledgeable and can't be discounted. 
right? I think sometimes, unfortunately, the ENTs and the kind of discount the pediatric dentist because they're they're not true MDs maybe seen in that sense, which is a really unfortunate thing, but it happens in a lot of fields. And Dr. Tyler is a really big advocate that it's time to time to stop discounting people on what they're seeing and time for them to make these changes and really start assessing and treating tongue tie. But I'd say the biggest thing I learned from watching all of them is that they care. They are there every day trying to support these families every single day. Okay, you guys, they're not trying to do harm. In fact, they're trying to do good. The negative that I see is we are not all doing timing of release. So what does that mean, right? It's a big buzzword right now, especially in lactation. Everyone's talking about timing of release or optimal timing. I think there's a really big misconception, first of all, that timing of release means we all just sit around and wait for baby to magically be ready, right? And I'm like, no, no, not happening. That's not what we do. We don't just sit on our hands. Timing of release should be decided as a team between the release provider, the body worker, and the IBCLC as that team leader. The IBCLC should be guiding oral rehab, really doing oral sucking exercises, rhythmic movements, feeding assessments. And that baby should be improving, you guys. It should be getting better each day, each week as we work towards release. When I work with these babies, I actually know that we're ready for release when we've plateaued. When the, you know, babies either weight stalls or we're just, you know, weights, one easy measurement, but not my favorite. You know, I usually look at other functionality, like we were improving on our tongue lateralization or elevation, but now we're not getting any better. We had a head tilt. Now we don't. We're nice and even, but we're still clicking at the breast, right? So these types of things. So when we get there, we, the IBCLC should be able to tell you, Hey, we're definitely ready. We're kind of stalled. Check in with the body worker. Yep. Body looks good. We've relaxed the tension. No more head tilt or preference. Good on my side, you know, green light. And then that team leader IBCLC should reach out to the release provider and say, hey, we've got this baby. This is our plan. This is what we've done. They are ready for release. Okay. That's in a perfect world. What happens way too often, I don't want to say 90% of the time, but it feels like it. Parents are told by their pediatrician, baby doesn't have a tongue tie. Unfortunately, sometimes even told by IBCLCs who are not knowledgeable about this, baby doesn't have a tongue tie. And they turn to social media. They turn to other parents for support, which is very smart. They need other parents and their friends and other parents tell them, hey, this is who I went to. This is a great release provider. He did a great job. Or, you know, she did a wonderful release and the baby did great and it got so much better afterwards. And so then they go in to the release provider without having a team. They've done no pre-oral work. They haven't prepared themselves for what the post aftercare looks like. They don't have a feeding team. They haven't addressed any head tilt or body issues. They've done nothing but jump to the release. And you guys, these are the ones that are just, every once in a while, you'll have a baby that magically does well, but a lot of these babies are not, and they're not seeing the results that they should. I'm like, God, these babies could be thriving and doing so well. And then these parents get frustrated and they're like, I don't want to do it again. I'm like, I get it. Totally hear you. But unfortunately, The way everybody went about this did not solve the problem. In fact, it made a bigger problem. So I would say if you call a release provider and they are totally willing to see you and do that release without you having functional feeding assessment from an IBCLC, 
I don't know that I would go to that release provider, which is a pretty big statement, you guys, because I see these release providers and they're doing good jobs. They're trying, they're doing quality releases. The issue is not in the release. The issue is the fact that if you do not have this other stuff done beforehand, doesn't matter how good that release is. It's not going to be enough. Okay. It is just not. So that is that's my, that's my party line there. And I understand that it's really hard. And I understand that when you have parents sitting in your office crying, saying it hurts, I just want you to release the baby's tongue because I know it will get better. Or my baby isn't gaining and I don't want to get formula. And I just, I want you to release the baby's tongue so he can breastfeed. That was break my heart. I know how hard those are, but you guys were, were not, you know, the first rule is do no harm. And by doing a release when the baby's not ready, we are putting that baby in harm's way. And that's not the right step. So we need to take a deep breath, go backwards and say, you need a feeding, a functional feeding assessment with a TOTS knowledgeable IBCLC. When we do that, they are going to address the pain. They are going to address a feeding plan. They are going to help make things better right now, today. We are going to start improving. We have to start there. We have to start assessing these babies with an IBCLC and a body worker before we jump into release. And that is just, that's as basic as it gets. Okay. I would, I'm just going to stop there because I love all of my release providers and they really do great jobs, but I just really want to advocate for that first. And I know it isn't always possible. You guys, I have clients who live in medical deserts. Okay. There's no body workers around who have any pediatric experience. They have to travel hours to a release provider, right? It is not easy, but I would say a couple of things on that. Number one, that is why I'm a telehealth provider exclusively. I truly believe that I need to reach as many families as possible and that TOTS knowledgeable IBCLCs are not everywhere. There are states that don't have any, and there are some states that are pretty big. I mean, I have clients in Montana that are three hours from their pediatrician and there's no IBCLC, much less one who has any TOTS knowledge within three hours of them. How are they going to get care? Of course, they're going to have to release them without care. That's why I do telehealth. Okay. So I do telehealth so that I can reach that family. I can be support for them. I can do that oral pre-work and I teach the parents to do all these exercises. And if we can't have body work, there's extra stuff they can do there too. We talk about everything from tummy time to baby wearing to, you know, not having containers. We don't want container baby stuff. So no swings, no bouncy seats, no jumpers, all of that type of stuff. So I will do all of that with my clients and that telehealth is available. Okay. And can be done well with a knowledgeable provider about these things and a knowledgeable telehealth provider, which I am. Okay. So I'm a big believer that even then, even if they live in a medical desert, there's an IBCLC who can reach them, who does this, who is an expert. And as far as body work, sometimes there isn't, you guys, sometimes there is no skilled body worker around and we just have to deal with what we have. But like I said, there's things we can teach them at home to really maximize baby's body movements, to have therapeutic tummy time, to have therapeutic play. All of these things can make a really big difference. So I was talking about the IBCLC being that leader. And even through telehealth, there's so much we can do. I mean, especially if you do it all the time, like I do, you'll find that 
the parents or your hands? I mean, I had parents the other day whose baby had already had a clip in the hospital. And um, we talked about the fact that that might not have been adequate. The parents really weren't sure. They felt like it was fine, but baby wasn't thriving and um, was a month old. And so we decided to do the exam and I talked them through it, told them where to put their hands, everything else. That dad put his fingers right exactly where they needed to be. And all of a sudden he said to me, it's right there. I'm like, yeah, I see it. So the parents are my hands in telehealth. There's, there's so much that I can still do with them. I can't weigh the baby. That's about it. They can go into the pediatrician for a weight check, everything else, oral rehab, rhythmic movements, you know, tummy time, feeding therapies, all these other things. There's so much we can do with them that I do not need anything more than my computer to be able to do with them. So, you know, moving on, I saw two breastfeeding medicine docs, Katrina Mitchell in Santa Barbara and Rachel Yang in the Bay Area. And I have to say, first of all, so thrilled Rachel Yang has settled in Marin. It's really terrible that a population density of Northern California did not have a breastfeeding medicine doc. Like that's just terrible. So I am thrilled that she's up there. Katrina Mitchell is down in Santa Barbara and California now has two woohoo breastfeeding medicine docs. It's pretty sad because most of the country doesn't have any breastfeeding medicine docs. And unfortunately, what happens is when you don't have a knowledgeable doc around for breastfeeding medicine, you get a lot of mismanagement. I just recently took another course from Katrina Mitchell on mastitis updates and how the new American breastfeeding medicine protocol changed. And some of it's still the same, you guys, but we have learned so much. I would say what I learned from these two is mind blowing. What I knew about mastitis was old theory. And what we know now is so different, you know, it's so different than what we've been doing for the last 10 or 15 years. So I would say number one, breasts are glands, not muscles. So they should not be massaged. There was so much damage in that class that I saw from Dr. Mitchell. She had unfortunately way too many photos of women with huge breast abscesses and lots of damage from very well-meaning providers doing their, what they call therapeutic breast massage to help move plug ducts and deal with mastitis that caused damage. I mean, like huge holes in the breast damage terrible. And these are well-meaning providers trying to help. They're just not knowledgeable about what needs to happen with the breast. So that was just really huge. And I think, you know, it took us back to the idea that we need to keep it simple. The breast is not a complicated thing. If you're doing something really complicated, you're just doing way more than you need. So the main thing with mastitis is that we were making it way more complicated than it is we do damage when we massage the breast. That is just number one. I think that's kind of one of my first things that I tell people now with prenatal appointments is I tell them it's not supposed to hurt when you breastfeed and don't ever massage your breast. Those are like my two things, partly because a lot of women will get what they think is a plug duct, right? And they have this idea that if they push it towards the nipple, it will come out. And that idea is very common all over the internet. And unfortunately, it's really bad information. So I try really hard to get that information right out there in the beginning before they ever get a plug duct that, you know, number one, just don't ever massage their breast. Number two, call for help. But then I can give them some other basic tips. Um, so I think it's really important to focus on the fact that mastitis is not what we thought it was. And also 
This was mind-blowing to me too. Most mastitis is not bacterial, it's inflammatory. So that means most of the time mastitis does not need antibiotics. We are over-prescribing antibiotics for a condition that doesn't need it. Think about, you know, ear infections 20 years ago. Every ear infection got antibiotics. Now, most of them don't need it. We understand that a lot of times it's an inflammatory process, not a bacterial issue, and that antibiotics are not going to fix it. So the mastitis is frequently inflammatory, not bacterial, which means we don't need antibiotics. It also means that probiotics are really beneficial as are typical inflammatory process therapies, ice, rest, ibuprofen or turmeric, moving the milk, all these things. And obviously anytime there's mastitis, you need an IBCLC or breastfeeding medicine doc on board, but Meeting with these docs and learning from them has definitely taught me more about mastitis and the mastitis spectrum. And I just want to get that knowledge out there. I want providers, especially to know, number one, don't massage a breast, period. Absolutely, period. Especially unless, you know, if you're a breastfeeding medicine doc and you know what you're doing, go ahead, do what you know. You probably still won't do it because you know not to. But if you're an ER doc or an OBGYN or an IBCLC, or the late chain league leader, or a licensed massage therapist, or anybody else, please don't massage the breast. I had a client just the other day say she'd been getting therapeutic breast massage for five days in a row from a licensed massage therapist. And I told her immediately, we need to stop that right now. So it's okay to get a massage, but not on your breasts. It's okay to do chiropractic. It's okay to do other things. It's okay to do acupuncture but nobody should be massaging the breast, especially when it's having inflammation already by a plug ductor mastitis. Massage is just going to make it worse. Are you going to massage a sprained ankle? No. And our breast is way more complicated than an ankle because it's also a gland. So meeting with Dr. Mitchell and Dr. Yang was amazing and mind-blowing. And I just hope that more physicians take an interest in being breastfeeding medicine docs and that the Rachel and Katrina can train more docs and get them out there. Dr. Yang's actually trained by Dr. Mitchell, which is awesome, but we need more of them throughout the country. We need more of them to teach other providers because a lot of the damage with mastitis, unfortunately, is done by providers and in hospitals. So I think the more we get the knowledge out there, the better. I also met with two myofunctional therapists, Marge and Autumn Henning, and both of them were really great. It was really interesting for me to learn about the tongue from like a, almost a physical therapy perspective, right? Like we're doing tongue physical therapy, which is just mind blowing. And I have to say on a personal note, if you've been listening, you know that my kids have been going through a tongue tie journey this year and I started some of mine and then I had to kind of put a pause in it until my body is ready. And so I've been doing some of this myofunctional therapy with my kids. We actually have myofunctional therapy again this afternoon and it's mind blowing. Like some of these exercises, I was like, oh, this looks so easy. And on the next day and the next day I was like, oh, my cheeks hurt. Oh, my tongue doesn't want to move. I was like, my husband kept asking me, are you okay? And I said, why? And he's like, well, you're quiet and you're never quiet. (laughs) And I'm not, I can be a little bit of a chatterbox, but my mouth was sore. So I definitely have seen the difference myofunctional therapy has made in my kids and it's definitely helping their journey a lot with their tongue tie. And, you know, I say if you're four and up and you have a tongue tie, myofunctional therapy is essential. And if you're under four, you know, or under three, you probably need to be working with an IBCLC. 
I mean, I work with older babies as well as a lot of other IBCLCs do who are taught savvy. And the exercises we do and the therapies are different when you can't get the same understanding and communication that you do with a, um, you know, with a five-year-old or 10-year-old. So I also met with, let's see, Jewel Moore of Structure and Function, who honestly sent me on this tongue-tie journey. Her class with Structure and Function was what opened my eyes to the idea that there was more, that it wasn't just, I had been, you know, hospital IBCLC and we were in that school of like, you just clip it and then it's all better. And she was the one who opened my eyes to all of the other structures around the tongue that really impact the tongue's function. So that was mind blowing. You know, I think Michelle Emanuel, the OT, we talked at length about timing of release And I find myself saying some of her words and trying to remind families and providers that we need to know when to do something, not just why to do something or how to do something. When is sometimes the most important. And I met with Dr. Trill from Free to Feed. I have to say, if I could name the most inspiring person that I've met with in a year, it would have to be her. She's amazing. What she has been through personally in the last, I think her kids are her oldest is now six and the last six years is astounding really is and she saw a true need from her own experience that there was no no real support system for families with babies with food protein allergies with breast milk and not only did she create an incredible network including not only parental support and peer support but also information classes and knowledge but even more than that providers who can guide these families She's doing breast milk research. I am so excited to see her. Like, I just can't wait. I am constantly saddened by the fact that in this country, it is still money and time and research and medicine is still a male focused endeavor. You know, I mean, even things like, you know, women present atypically with a heart attack because we don't have the left-sided arm pain. Well, what made men typical? Why did we decide that that was the typical? You know, there's so many things. Birth control isn't always covered and now in very high debate. And yet the little blue pill and meds for ED is. Why is that? You know, why, why do we not have funding for lactation issues? Why are there multiple meds you could get for ED, but absolutely zero that are FDA approved and safe for breastfeeding and a galactagogue to help increase breast milk production. Why is that? Why are providers so medical, you know, why are the doctors so unknowledgeable about the effects of Pitocin and prolactin and how the hormones regulate our milk and how to manage that? It's, it's frustrating to say the least. And Dr. Trill's changing all that. And she is so inspiring Not only is she a mother of two and in the National Guard and a PhD who was doing cancer research, but now she's doing breast milk research and creating this whole amazing network. It's just astounding. I, I sometimes I just think about her and I'm blown away. I'm like, wow, talk about someone who's really getting, getting it done every day. I mean, she had set this goal and she's doing it. She started a biotech company. I wouldn't even know where to start. Starting my own private practice was overwhelming enough and a podcast. So I look back at this year and all the variety of people I've met and providers, and there's one thread that goes through all of them. Every single one of them wants to help 
families. Every single one of them works with perinatal, with pregnant, with babies, with every single one of them. And they all want to help. I mean, we, you know, medicine is a helping profession. We got in this for the benefit of others. And when I see these docs and these chiropractors and these therapists, and it's just inspiring because there's definitely times when I hear too many stories about, you know, providers not listening and brushing off tongue tie or, you know, not being knowledgeable on current research. But then I meet with all of these and I'm like, you guys, they're out there. They're amazing, fantastic providers who really want to stay up and do everything in their power to learn more every single day. And I think that's kind of the bottom line. Like, do you, you know, does your provider still strive to learn every day? Are they humble enough to say they don't know everything? Because the minute we think we know everything, that is the second that our brain turns off and we are no longer open to learning, to suggestions, to any of it. So I just, I find these providers inspiring. You know, I look at them and I just think what they've done and they've seen a need and they've created something to help. So I just, I find it very inspiring. And I will just give you a sneak peek for the following year, for the rest of 2022 and into 2023 for my year two of podcasting. I've got some really exciting stuff coming up. I will be in Chicago. I at Chicago Tongue Tie. I will be recording with my first myofascial therapist, which is awesome. Kendra Legrand from Florida was mine and my daughter's myofascial therapist. And I'm blown away by myofascial therapy and I don't have a good understanding of it. And I really can't wait to record with her so that you guys can hear more about, you know, what is the difference between myofascial and cranial sacral? How does this work? And how does it really help people thrive? And why is it better in some cases? You know, how does it work and all of that? So I'm really excited for Kendra. I will be meeting with Jennifer Toe in Connecticut, which she is inspiring, absolutely inspiring. She's probably one of the most knowledgeable IBCLCs I have ever met. She is very holistically focused, has a huge wealth of knowledge about gut health, thyroid, hormones. She's practically a functional med. IBCLC. <laughs> She's so knowledgeable. And I've taken a few of her courses. I'm taking another one soon. And every time she blows me away with her knowledge. So I just, an hour with her is heaven. And you guys are just going to love hearing what she's up to and, and more about her meeting with a chiropractor, Dr. Rosen in Mass- Massachusetts and learning about his pediatric practice and how he has been teaching pediatric chiropractors now for a long time. And, you know, just more providers everywhere I go, I'm seeking them out. They're starting to seek me out. And I just want to, I really want to bring this information to everybody. I want to, to share and I want us all to grow. I want us all to figure out each day, what can I learn today and how can I be better? You know, when we know better, we do better. So let's learn it together. Let's know better and then we'll do better together. So I am loving podcasting. Not planning on stopping. I'm also not planning on stopping traveling yet. So it works out really well. You know, what I would absolutely love is if you know someone who I should meet with, you know, a provider or you have some thoughts on my podcast, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. You know, I'm the traveling IBCLC at gmail.com. You can go to my website at Cuddles and Milk. 
com, And from there, you can find all of my podcast information and easily click, you know, email me now and just tell me, you know, what are your thoughts on the podcast? Who do you want to hear from? What do you think is lacking? You know, where is someone doing a really great job and who should I meet with and hear from? So I'm so excited. And I hope that you guys are ready for the next year of travels and providers and learning all together because it's going to be awesome. So I'm very, very excited. So I hope you enjoyed this and this, this whole year, it's been phenomenal year, definitely a year in my life that I will absolutely remember. And hopefully my kids will as well. And I just think it's taught me so much about humanity and nature and our country and myself a lot too, and what I need, what I can rely on and, you know, doing things more simply, you know, I mean, a 2000 square foot house, which wasn't huge, but you know, was a normal house down to, I don't know what we have now, 200 and 250 square feet in a trailer. So yeah, it was a big change and I can't imagine not doing it at least now. I know it won't be my forever. There's so many more places to see. I just look at the country and I can't wait to get to Acadia and I can't wait to get to Boston and Cape Cod. And I can't wait to get, you know, to the Great Smokies and to Chattanooga. And there's just, I still didn't make it, even though we were in Florida for three months, I didn't make it to Miami or the Keys, which both have to happen. There's just so much to see and so much to do. So I am immensely blessed to be able to do this. And thank you for coming along on the journey. So let me know if you have any tips. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change you. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast today and learned something new. If you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. 